This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Oh, and not only Charlie, little Franklin is here this to is help. The, the undergardener, sous chef of the garden show, on this bright and shiny Saturday morning. I see James Dooley is uh, Dooley doing his duty in there, answering <laughs> the phone. That's like the first. That. <laughs> that's the first voice you're going to hear when you call the numbers. I'll give you in just a moment. But first, ladies and gentlemen, please. With a wonderful, warm round of applause and an AM740 welcome to our wonderful host of the show. And, well, she, God, she's, she's a queen in the garden. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, no, uh, I think I owed you this for all the past mistakes uh, I've made in <laughs> calling myself the chef and, and the host. And the host, exactly. Yeah, so. But you did a great job Shirley, last week when I wasn't here, when oh, I was resting. How is your knee? Uh, it is <clears throat> somewhat better. It's not 100%, okay. but it's on the mend. For those for those who didn't hear the show, whatever, if you weren't around, um, Charlie fell on the ski hill. I well, did. actually, you fell in the ski flat. <laughs> you... <laughs> it's the most embarrassing part. I wasn't even on the hill. I was on the flat part of the hill. But I couldn't get up. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've never experienced that, that, where you're like on flat ground. I mean, it sounds dumb yeah, yeah, that yeah. you're down on the ground with skis attached. How do you get your feet underneath you and lever yourself up? <laughs> anyway, if I had been a little smarter, I would have just taken a ski off. But yeah. no, I was like frantically trying to get my feet underneath me and did a little twist on one of my knees. Well, sometime when we've got time, mm. and I know it's very rare that we do, mm. but I'll tell you the story of my first time going skiing, thinking I can ski, yes, of course. going up to Devil's Elbow and going on the expert slope by accident <laughs> and uh, doing <laughs> 85, 90 miles an hour, hitting the what I what I now know are called moguls. Yes, yes, those bumps. I just saw those bumps. Yes. And I hit the tops of, of all the Yeah. And survived and, to tell the tale. Yeah, well, I didn't know how to stop. I just, I just <laughs> oh, sat down. I was, the ski racks were coming up. <laughs> So, honest to God. we got to make a movie of your life just, one of these was, days, was, right? Uh, At least write the, let's write the memoirs. I mean, you have oh just a wackiest experience. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's it's because I'm not all there. <laughs> well, I think you're impulsive. I think you're probably yes. just don't Slightly really optimistic. think things through sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's quite true. Bit of a Y chromosome thing from what I understand. Uh, okay, so listen, uh, some upcoming events okay. to mark on your calendars. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 
<laughs> Whatever. Uh, let's see if we can find the right piece of paper. All right. Today, today, get the jump on spring. Yes. Beautiful blue well, sky. Sun is there. shining. It's very windy. So, you know, hold on to your hat if mm. you're stepping outside. Today, from 10 until 4 o'clock, free admission at the Toronto Botanical Gardens, though a $2 donation is appreciated. Get the jump on spring. Is, is the, this is the 18th annual Horticultural Open House. It is uh, put together with District 5 mm-hmm. of the Ontario Hort Association and obviously the TBG volunteers and staff. You learn all about hort societies, garden clubs, environmental organizations. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are there with tables and information to you can join and learn more mm-hmm. about them. You can take part in free presentations and demonstrations. You can shop. Till you drop, there's local produce, used gardening books. You can take an outdoor winter garden tour, garden walk with Paul Zamet. That's who you were thinking yes. of, Paul Zamet. We were talking earlier about our special guest, John Brooks, and I guess the TBG connection there. Paul Zamet is the director of horticulture for Toronto Botanical Gardens, and he is the most enthusiastic, passionate person. Speaks so fast, nobody can jam as much information into <laughs> one minute like he can. So he's a lot of fun, and yes, he was on the show about. This this time he last just year. loves his work. Oh, he just yeah. loves it. He's great. He's a really great guy. Uh, coming up on March the 8th, a little bit in the future, London Middlesex Master Gardeners, in collaboration with the City of London and Seeds of Diversity, present Seedy Saturday, March 8th from 10 to 3 p.m. It's at the Carling Heights Optimist Community Centre, 656 Elizabeth Street in London. Uh, and that's obviously a seedy Saturdays. It's all about seed swaps. Yeah. Right? You take in seeds you may have collected and you swap from with other people who have collected seeds as well. <clears throat> or you can just buy if you don't have any of your own. On uh, start, I was going to say on right now, starting soon is a very interesting um, uh, a gardener's vision, an art and photography show that is presented by the East York Garden Club. So mark your calendar. This is on right from March the 2nd through to March 28th. Oh, sure. You lots of time. Yeah, I've got yeah. lots of time. Now, the big grand opening reception is March the 8th. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one thirty in the afternoon, one thirty to 4, so that'll be a Saturday. It's all art and photography pieces that have been created by members of the East York Garden Club, and um, it's there also will be ongoing presentations at the library during the month of March. So, of course, where is this? It's the S. Walter Stewart Library Auditorium, which is at 170 Memorial Park Avenue in East York. Those are my big announcements, other than to say stay tuned because we will be joined in about 15 minutes by John Brooks. He is a designer, a teacher, and a gardener extraordinaire. Internationally known. Absolutely, yes. yes. You'll know when you hear his accent. (laughs) Oh, I see. Yes, you've been practicing. Yeah, I'm getting ready for him. (laughs) Okay, well, here are the phone numbers should you wish to call the show and ask a question of Charlie or offer a piece of advice of your own. That's that's always good. And maybe get wings along the way. And yes. There's the bell. There's the bell. That's <laughs> and we're off. First, yeah, first time callers, okay? So here's the number for those in the Toronto area. 416-360-0740. And then anywhere else in the province, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. And our mantra is call early, call often, one question per call. 
Or Patrolman Proctor will pull you to the side and you'll get a ticket. Mm-hmm. There you go. I get tough. I and get tough. And we're going to talk later about, what. speaking of Patrolman Proctor, what yeah. you're planning for tomorrow morning. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, we'll do that. I want to, everybody needs to tell us, what what are they going to be doing at 6.37 a.m. tomorrow morning when they call in? Oh, yeah. Are you sleeping or are you planning on being up? Oh. And if so, where? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. We'll talk about that at the end of the show sort of thing, maybe. Hmm? <clears throat> All righty. Get those calls in now and uh, Charlie will be back to talk to folks like Zoe, who's online waiting from Collingwood. We'll be chatting with her in just moments. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than we do realize. And should little creatures become a big problem? Well, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And we're off and running here uh, with a call from Collingwood. Uh, Zoe online. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I have a question regarding uh, an amaryllis plant. Mm -hmm. I did everything I was supposed to do uh, uh, to get it to bloom for Christmas, and Mm -hmm. it didn't. Mm -hmm. I've got uh, really healthy-looking leaves. I understand you need four for it to to bloom. I've got three. And off to the side now, it looks like a new bulb is forming, Mm -hmm. and more leaves are growing. So I have a baby bulb coming up. Excellent. Congratulations. Do I, do I get rid of that bulb or No, well, so you've got the mother bulb and you've got a little daughter bulb coming off the side. So yeah, you have no two flowers. Yeah, two options. One is let it be, just let them grow uh, next year. See what what's happening right now is those leaves are fattening the bulb up uh-huh. in order to make a flower. Uh-huh. And which could be what happened last year like you've had this obviously you had it blooming last Christmas. The, right. Uh, so it, when it blooms, you have to understand that a lot of energy goes into the formation and the actual uh, growing of the flower. So post-flowering with any flowering bulb, amaryllis is a great example because we have them indoors, but outdoors, of course, we have tulips and daffodils, same thing. Once they've flowered, we must leave the leaves alone for as long as possible, minimum eight, preferably 16 or 20 weeks. To oh. al- now, tulips and daffodils, you'll see the leaves will die down because the heat will knock them out. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the amaryllis, if you can keep that growing as a houseplant now, right through until August, oh. let those green leaves grow, let them absorb the sunlight, let them fatten up the bulb you're not going to see a flower until you um it goes dormant sometimes uh-huh. we force it to go dormant we stop watering uh-huh. in august but if you uh-huh. do it too early then you don't have the flower bud energy there so that's why you have to wait as long as you can stop watering put it in a dark spot leaves will die down mark on your calendar eight weeks later take it out of that dark spot uh-huh. water once put it in the sun when it starts to grow now by this time we're talking november uh-huh. it should grow initially with a flower stem what about the little baby? Uh, should I cut that off? Is that taking energy away from the mother bulb? No, no, not at all. It's actually doing its own thing of fattening itself up as a little bulb. Ah, okay. Now, it's not going to flower probably for a couple of years because it needs to be mature enough to actually form a flower. Uh-huh. However, so you can sever it. You can have get a little tiny pot, pot up that little tiny bulb into its now? own little pot. You could do it now. I'd be inclined to wait until it's the, you get to that dormant point. Okay. Uh, so whether that's July or August. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Bye-bye now. Thank you, Zoe, for calling, uh, calling in from Collingwood. <laughs> A little behind the scenes. <laughs> Humor here, as Charlie. Funny the last, the latter part of that conversation, Charlie was sinking in her chair. The chair just started to go down all by itself. And 
<laughs> you should have seen your eyes. That was terrific. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Gave me a good little giggle. Uh, oh, glad okay. you enjoyed well, it. Well, you adjust the chair. <laughs> Dan in Thornhill. Uh, oh, is a first-time caller, Gosh. too. Hey, Hello. welcome to the show, Dan. Yes, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the show. (laughs) You've probably had this question before regarding uh, removing streaks and spots. Whenever I buy tropical, indoor tropicals, and uh, that uh, I've tried several ways, and uh, just wondering, how do you remove it? I I think it's calcium left over from when the growers uh, watered them. But uh, how do you remove these white streaks and spots? Because of the plants I'm buying are 10, 12, sometimes 14-inch pots, and there's three or so plants in each pot. And, mm-hmm. You know, we're talking 100 or so leaves. It takes you forever with by hand and water. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's that. Back, we don't, you don't see it as much as we used to. There was something called leaf shine. I'm aware of leaf shine, ma'am, and that is uh, it doesn't really remove the, the no. white. It just covers. Covers, exactly. It's almost like, you know, Right. Uh, furniture fact, polish. <laughs> right. And secondly, yeah. I had a very large corn plant that died because yeah. the leaf shine got on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not recommending yeah. leaf shine. I was just going to say that was what we used to use, you know, 20, 30 years ago to make plants look really, you know, sharp and happy. Right. But, but you're right. It is um, – hmm. See, even if you put those plants, those monster plants, into your shower and gave them a, a, a good wash-off, uh, yeah, you'd still you know, have some what I'll, what I'll residue. I'll, I'll use a, a mild uh, dish detergent, like mm-hmm. olive, mm-hmm. per liter, a couple drops per liter, mm-hmm. and then uh, put it in the bathtub and shower it off, and it's still there. Yeah, because you've got the residue from your water once it dries. And, you know, it's whatever little, little minerals are in the water. Uh, you know what's yeah. almost your best thing? If you can get the plants once we, we're into summer uh, or we're frost-free, get them outside. Of course, you would go into the shade, but get them into the rain because the rain is nice pure water and it won't leave behind any kind of residue. Um, okay. That's one of the things you can do if you can actually get them out, if they're you know, not so, you know, so big that you can handle them. Otherwise, I think what you're doing is the best thing. It's just with a cloth and a very, very weak solution of soap and water and, and cleaning the leaves because it's very good for the leaves to be clean and not have dust and grime or right. anything It'll on them. Or more sun, probably. Not just sun, but also the whole uh, gas exchange because there's a whole atmospheric exchange oh. through microscopic pores in the leaves. Okay. So that's okay. very, very good to have clean leaves. So that's good of you to do that. Okay. One uh, senior fellow at Sheridan told me, uh, do not use horticultural oil on dracaenas because they are thinner leaves and they don't like those oils. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Could I try horticultural oil and wipe them with that? No, I wouldn't. The reason we use oils usually is as an insecticide, and that will actually, you know, um, asphyxiate any living insects on a plant. But when you put oil on a plant just for the purposes of cleaning, remember now you've got a sticky surface. So Exactly. Every little bit of dust, every microscopic bit of silt or sand or cat hair, dog hair will stick like a magnet to those leaves. So is it because of the growers watering them? It's the water they use, absolutely. Like they're not on – typically most of the growers are, are – well, tropicals usually come out of Florida and southern That's United right. States. That's and right. this is well water or, you know, this is tr- potentially treated water, but it's treated with things like chlorine and, you know, fluoride and all those kinds of things. And that's what you're seeing is salt residue. Right. The white stuff. Well, there is no easy way. No, not that I know <laughs> of. <laughs> Sorry. I think what you're doing is very, very wise, though. Well, the, the only problem is, like I told you, even that mild detergent, uh, you know, with mm. the, it didn't help either. Oh, it didn't. It no. didn't look, it didn't clean when them I, up. The rinse that I dried, it was still partly there, not all of it still, but partly still on the leaves. Yeah. 
Well, it could be just that, you know, the water has sat there for so long. It, like, it is literally mineral sitting there, little tiny bits of salt that pile up. So where you do see, you know, clear indications of these spots, you know, several wipings. And, of course, you're wiping away from the center of the plant or the base of the leaf to oh, the yeah. outside. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a real movement back and forth. You're almost scrubbing it off. All right. Thanks, Dan. Good All luck right. with that. All the best, Dan. Uh, we have to leave him alone now because he's got a lot of work to do. And we have to go to our first break here at 922. But we will return to the Garden Show as we broadcast live from the Zoomerplex in Liberty Village. Charlie Dobbin coming up uh, next to talk to Ruth in Guelph. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Here we are on a sunny Saturday morning. Thank you for inviting us into your homes now. Show me to your silverware. And that's, oh, pardon me. It's my other job. Ah, yes. Well, let's welcome to the show a first-time caller, Ruth in Guelph. Welcome along to the Charlie Dobbin Garden Show. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. morning. We live in the country, and because of the winter weather, we have to leave our car at the end of a fairly long lane and walk across our grass. This year, because of all the ice... It's very, very lumpy underneath the snow, and I'm wanting to know, you'd mentioned one time about some kind of ice melter that does not hurt the grass or the dog's feet and so on. Um, I looked for it, but I couldn't find it in the pet stores, and I wondered if you had any uh, different brands or whatever Hmm. might be available in some other stores. Well, that's a good question. I'm just not going to remember the brand name. I think it was Echo Track. Yeah, exactly. Echo Tracks. Now that you're right. I think they changed the name. It used to be kind of in a bag. Now it's in a plastic jug. And I did see it at PetSmart in my neighborhood. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, and it's that same. It's kind of neat because it's vo- it's um, blown up volcanic rock. So each of the little granules, they just look like little particles to our eye, but each of them have sharp little prongs. And, and basically they, they wedge themselves into the ice. So it's not a salt. Like it doesn't melt the ice per se. It grabs the ice and creates a really good um, footing. So it gives, gives you purchase on that. That's right. And then in the spring, once the ice starts to melt, the, and you know, you're shoveling all this into the garden or onto the grass, these, are, these minerals dissolve a Eventually, in liquid, and add fertilizer or feed our plants. And there's no there's no salt as part of it. So it's a kind of a neat neat um, works really well in my neighborhood. And certainly, we used it this past December a few times. Then the other one I've seen is kind of the, the Home Depot salt. Now it's not the old yellow bag of rock salt. It's, it's named like Amba- Admiral or Ambassador, and it's blue. And they claim that it is safe for pets and safe for the lawns. Now, it's not designed to really be put on the lawns. It's designed to be put onto pavement. Um, But if it gets onto the lawn, it theoretically is not supposed to cause damage. That sounds iffy. Yeah. Uh Well, in your case, it it is tricky because you want a a solid surface to walk on, which which is also lawn below. That's right. That's the tricky part. Okay, hmm. so uh, straw. Maybe the echo track isn't even suitable for that. Uh, it could be. I mean, sand. You know, it, it, anything that's going to get a bit of a grit surface. Yeah, yeah. Like I have pathways through my snow, both for my letter carrier because 
believe it or not, we still get our mail delivered. Sure. And, um, and the cats. I'm always making pathways for the cats. So I always leave a good inch or more of snow on the lawn because I don't want to expose the, the actual grass below. Right. But it is packed snow that everybody can walk on. And mm-hmm. I find it, it comes through fairly well. The other thing I have is stepping stones in my lawn beneath that snow layer. So since you do this every winter, maybe it would be a consideration to think about, you know, in the spring, get some, some nice big flagstone stepping stones, lay them into the lawn where your pathway is, and then basically shovel that area, always leaving a good inch or so of snow. Uh-huh. And, and certainly it's worked well where I am. It's a, a lot of action on that snow, but the lawn comes through fine. I've been trying to convince my husband we should put a sidewalk through there, but he said, I don't want to cover up any more grass. (laughs) (laughs) He likes his grass. eh? Well, we do, but... Sometimes it's a safety feature. Exactly. Well, exactly. You want it to be you know, solid right. and steady, and you don't want to be slipping and falling, that's for sure. Thank you ever so much. You're very welcome. Hey, thanks for joining the show, Ruth. Now. Have, your, have yourself a great day, I and uh, call us again, okay? I will. Thank thanks. you very much. And uh, on we go to, uh, oh, wait, you know what? We have to put a hold on uh, chatting with callers, and we have some folks online right now, but we're going to just ask you to hold on, listen to the show through your phone or however... Uh, uh, James is kind of hooked up there uh, because we have a special guest who is waiting by that I shall let Stand. I shall let Charlie introduce <laughs> more suitably. Standing yes. by, we have John Brooks. Good morning, John. Good morning, Charlie. Oh, good morning, John. This, Hi. This is Frank. <laughs> Very glad to meet you indeed. Thank you. He's pretending <laughs> to be silly and pompous. Yeah. Don't worry. Well, I'm not pompous. No, no never, never. Uh, Frank is my sous chef of the garden, so he knows nothing about gardening, but he does love to get involved. And, I've got you. And, uh, <laughs> yes, that sort of thing. So, John, uh, welcome to Toronto and Canada. When was the last time you were here? Oh, I think it was about 10 years ago now. Well, there you go. And you brought, were brought in very specially to uh, teach a course. How did that go the last four days at the Toronto Botanical Gardens? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I was teaching garden design mm-hmm. to 17. Mm. Uh, yes, I enjoyed it. A shame about the weather. I'd like to be also seen the garden. I know. It's all, there's so much snow this year. You're not <laughs> yeah. seeing much. Because the Toronto Botanical Gardens has really changed in the last 10 years. It's uh, dramatic from what it was. Uh, we're, certainly, you'll have to come back in good weather to see the, <laughs> okay. see the real garden. The, uh, well, mind you, I mean, there's still things going on. There's good structure. And that's, I think, what's been interesting this year is we're really seeing, because of all that snow, we're seeing the skeleton or the framework of our garden gardens, our deciduous trees, our shrubs, our evergreens, and recognizing them for what they're supposed to be doing or aren't doing. Yes, and, and, and suddenly realizing that coloured stems and things actually show up well against the snow. And, uh, you know, they ought to be used rather more, I think. Yeah, like the dogwoods, for example, yeah, the sure. red osier dogwood and some of the really bright oranges and greens that are and out some there. Some of the willows uh, you yeah. know, beautiful. And one of my all-time favorites, the paper bark maple. Yeah, very really lovely. Very nice. So, so you took some neophytes and taught them a little bit about how to be designers or taught them a little bit about how to be uh, working in the world of design or, or what was well, your other four days? Well, how to be, they all come from different directions and have different sort of experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... You know, sort of people from advertising and things who really are not particularly horticultural. No. So one tries to explain uh, and talk about what a client wants. That most 
plants you get mm -hmm. have never used a designer before. Mm -hmm. So you've got to bring out from the customer just what it is they want. And they might well not be horticultural, but they're interested in, uh, you know, a play space for the children. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, um, growing vegetables and herbs. And right. uh, I really questioned with some of them this, this term botanical garden, which is a sort of 19th century term for a collection of exotic plants mm -hmm. that the Raj might have brought back. That's sort right, of thing. exactly. And perhaps now we needed something much more approachable for the man in the street and his little lot. Um, yeah, maintenance-wise and, uh, yeah, ease of, of purchasing and installing and having Absolutely. it continue to look good. Not a lot of out there pruning every week or so no, to keep things right. perfect. You don't, you don't have to be a member of a garden club to have a nice garden. That's for sure. And to think about sort of the conservatory mm -hmm. for this sort of weather. You know, there's great wafts of harsh and narcissus you suddenly get. Gosh, they can cheer February up on a dull day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, on, so on your website, I loved uh, one of the comments I read that you, you have a very nice website, John Brooks with an E, uh, dot com. And one of the things you said is gardens are about people. And that's something that I wholeheartedly agree with. That's right. That when we are designing for a client or thinking about our own personal modifications to our own gardens, it's about us. It's about what, what's our vision and how are we going to use this garden? You know, what's it all about? Exactly. And important from the designer's point of view to get the feel of the inside of the house mm -hmm. as well as the out. And you can tell an awful lot from do they have pictures on the wall or not. Are there books about yeah. if it's an untidy house inside, the chances yeah. are the garden's not going to be a French form or one. That's right. um, and even colour too. The amount of colour people use inside is an indication absolutely. of what they want to see outside. Yes. You do when you are when you are brought in as a as a designer for a client. You're absolutely right. That's always one of the things is kind of taking peeks around the corner and you know getting a sense of who are these people, how do they live, before you even look at the space you're there to design. And almost the first question you ask mm -hmm. is not surprisingly how much money they've got to spend on mm -hmm. it. It's who's going to look after this thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize even the smallest garden does take quite a lot of maintenance. Even if it's just a, something as simple as watering. Absolutely. It does take that time, doesn't it? Absolutely. Now, for many people, that's a very therapeutic um, experience. Sure. Uh, I always remember, I, used to, I did a TV show years ago with Dennis Flanagan called One Garden, Two Looks. And the, the idea of the show was that we were each taking neighbors, side-by-side -side neighbors, and redoing their gardens yeah. to the need of the different client. And, and so, of course, for the viewer to watch the show, it was kind of interesting because there was the exact same space. But at the end, it looked completely different. We did a lot of those as sort of makeovers on television. Exactly. And this was on HGTV. Yeah. And I always remember one client when I was trying to get a sense of who are you and what do you want and what do you like – 
all she wanted was to come home after a stressful day at the office and pick up her hose and water something. Yeah. <laughs> that was all she really cared about. With a glass I, in hand. Exactly, though. exactly. <laughs> didn't care what she was watering, didn't care whether it was big or tall or pink or blue, and none yeah. of that mattered. She just wanted, she loved watering, and that yeah. was her thing. That's what she really wanted. I would have told her to put a pool in the back. <laughs> Fill it up. <laughs> and we'll fill that every day yeah. and then flop in it. <laughs> so, but no, it was a garden show, uh, Frank. We had to do some gardening. Oh, oh right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that minor point I'd forgotten. HGTV, yeah. you know, that's a G. <laughs> I, I, from the, I just came in on the end of your previous conversation and I loved the bit about make a path for the cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's very so sort of domestic and so obvious and you don't sort of say things. Like well, it's rather embarrassing, John, that I have to work with a lady who, uh, in her neighborhood, uh, she's referred to uh, as, oh, that person that lives in the cat house. Uh, oh, really? down the <laughs> well, yeah, I not only have my cat, but I have several neighbor yes. cats that hang out at my house. And I also have a homeless cat that lives in my back garden. So, yes, mm-hmm. I've got a serious like, cat collection going on there. And they need paths, you know. Cats really never they don't choose to go into deep snow once no, they do it no. once they'll keep walking in those same footprints yeah, back and forth they're very careful to never make new footprints because they don't the, like the, it the trouble with them as sweet as they are is the birds and the wildlife i know things. it's true i have my cat he has bells on every body part oh, really? <laughs> you should see him <laughs> he's just a jangling dangling thing <laughs> Okay. I know. But he doesn't know. Like, he thinks he's, like, totally normal. Yeah. Well, they, it's those sort of personalized things that you try and bring out of a plant. Yeah, there you and, go. You know, to fit into their garden design. And, and the smaller the garden, the more important mm, those things are. That's right. And, and I think you mentioned as well, it's that, like the house, right? The style of the house, not only inside but oh, outside. Yeah. The period of the house is important because I know you do design all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, here, most of my work is in the Toronto area. And yeah. there's a lot of suburban houses in the style. Style and the and the period is you know pretty boxy. Yeah. Nothing. Nineteen seventy five through to you know two thousand and fourteen. There's there, right. there's no real style to it, and that's no. sometimes a challenge. Oh, absolutely, and th- that's what I like about doing it in different places, just just to see how different people live mm-hmm. and to experience these different architectures as mm-hmm. well as different climates. Let's face it. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever worked in a place like Downton Abbey? Oh, a big, a big yeah. estate. Yeah. Big, big estate. Not quite as large as that, but yes, I have. That must be thrilling, really. Uh, yes. You know, there are an awful lot of Downton Abbeys in England. Mm-hmm. Um, or that sort of thing. And you sort of get used to them after a while. They tend to be fairly grand gardens that are often open to the public. You know, we have this yellow book of gardens open to the public throughout the year. And often they're on that scale that actually have little relationship to the scale of what the man in the street has. It's a them and us sort of situation. Right. No, that's absolutely true. And uh, and a lot, like you're saying, those ones that are open to the public are also very expensive to maintain. And that's one of the reasons they are open is to raise money to keep them keep them going, I think, right? Absolutely. And your own garden is open to the public as well. Yes, it is in, in West Denmans in West Sussex. Um, and I, I have one gardener, but um, 
you know, you don't get many people in in January, February. <laughs> no, I think Through not. the summer, uh-huh. you know, you start getting the hordes and the old busload and things. Helps it all along very nicely. That's great. Well, I'm just showing, uh, Frank, your website. My jaw just hit the table because I'm looking at the shots of your backyard oh, or your, your estate, I should say. Well, I don't know if that's it's, Oh, my God, it's beautiful. John's. Isn't that pretty, though? Yeah, just yeah, right on your home page. Really the little overlooking the valley shot. Uh-huh. Very yeah. pretty. Okay, so, John, you're still in Toronto for a couple more days. I know you are doing a special lecture at the Toronto Botanical Gardens uh, this Monday, right, at 7.30? That's right. Presenting... There's one on Monday and one on Tuesday as well. Uh, okay, and the one on Monday's at 7.30, yep. and you're going to be presenting the gardens of John Brooks, so this will include oh, wow. some yeah. of the gardens you mm-hmm. have designed, probably including your own. Uh, a bit of it. I actually do my own rather more on the Tuesday, but okay. it's it's gardens around the world. It's actually called. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, it's ones I, I've done, going from small ones up to quite large ones and estates and things. So okay, so that's great. Now that's open to everybody uh, in the public to come and uh, listen to you at yes, seven thirty Toronto Botanical Gardens. That's at seven 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 Leslie Avenue East. Uh, it is. They ask for you to pre-register. So go to TorontoBotanicalGarden.ca. Or on Tuesday, if that's a better night, you're there again. And this time, you're talking more about design and showing off some of some of the things well, you've done in your you, garden. How you deal with a designer? I get. Oh right. Okay how to work with a designer. And that could be important from an interior perspective, too. Sometimes people dream about hiring designers for interior help. Oh, absolutely. So, and it's all the same. It's all, you know, how to work with a client or how to be a client. <laughs> yes, how to be a client. All right. Well, well you sound like a pretty reasonable guy. I don't yeah. think I'd have any problem inviting you over to my apartment and <laughs> helping me with my five-foot square <laughs> balcony. <laughs> balcony there. But, but well, John, often these small spaces need more help than the big ones, yeah, as it happens. That's true. Yeah. It's like designing a small kitchen. It's not so difficult in the big one. I know. We find that at Canada Blooms. The smaller gardens actually take a lot more work because the yeah. detail is so important. Right. And John is a gold... Um, gold uh, winner at Chelsea three times, which is Chelsea's the big garden show in, in England. And of course, I mentioned to John, I'm wondering, will he come to Canada Blooms perhaps and consider designing a garden maybe next year? <laughs> Just ask me. All right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all right. See how she does that. She's so, so sneaky. Joe. I know. Oh, I'm all I over it. I a bit of that sneaky. <laughs> yeah. I'm all, I think it'll be great. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So thanks, thanks so much for this, John. We'll see you on either Monday night or Tuesday night at TBG. Enjoy the week. Thank you, Charlie, very much. All very right, take very care. pleasant to have met you. Bye bye now. Oh, nice, uh, nice man, John yeah. Brooks. Yeah, he's here a sweetheart. AM seven forty, and he he knows his design. He's just been doing it. it like I want to ask him how he got into the business. He said it all started. He wanted to be a farmer, but his dad looked at him and said, "I can't afford to buy you a farm." <laughs> so he he started because you know in England it all starts with apprenticeships. You know you do some sure. some schooling, but you also apprentice. So he did spend some time apprenticing his way up, and that's how he started getting into the whole horticulture and then landscape design world. Well, it was a very nice guest to have mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Very knowledgeable man. Sounded like a really delightful guy. Yeah. Now, uh, we have to take a little bit of a break here and then get back to the folks online who have been patiently waiting, uh, Betty and Rita, both in Richmond Hill, as a matter of fact. And we'll do that in just moments after these messages on AM740 Zoomer Radio. Don't change the radio station. 
Just because the weather changes, garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, welcoming Betty from Richmond Hill. Good morning and welcome to the show, Betty. Morning. Um, I love your show. Hello? Yes, Hi, we're here. Oh, okay. Uh, I bought a yucca plant, and and it's in fiber. A fiber pot? The pot is, is it's like a fiber. It's not like a soil. Oh, I see what you're saying. Hmm. Uh, okay, it's a no. hibiscus, you say? Pardon me? A hibiscus? No, a yucca. Oh, sorry, a yucca. All right, so it's a very well, should be a very well drained soil that a yucca comes in, and but I wanted to repot it because it's an awfully small pot. Mm-hmm. But what is this fiber? Hmm. I mean, can I repot it in soil? Yes. What I would do is two things. One is remember yucca have very small root systems. Oh so, right. So you'll know it's time to repot when you pick up the pot and you can see roots growing out the bottom holes, drainage holes oh, of right. the pot. And at that point, yes, whatever size pot it's in now, you would move it up one size. So if it's in a six inch pot, you'd go to an eight inch, or if mm-hmm. it's eight inch, you'd go to ten. And uh, yes, I would get a hold of a good quality potting soil. And then don't um, get rid of the fiber that it's in now. Probably what it's in is called core, C-O-I-R. Mm-hmm. Uh, core is the outer husk of the coconut that's been yeah, shredded it up. like that. And it is a peat moss substitute because it is super renewable and grows very, very quickly. And, uh, and so what it probably is planted up is in the core. There's nothing wrong with it. It has no um, value from a nutritional perspective. So it is important that you fertilize once a month. Oh, okay. And, and yeah, if you are going to do your potting up to a bigger size, absolutely. Some potting soil, but maintain what's, in, what's around the roots now when you're going into the new pot. But what's the point if it's not getting any nutrients from the fiber? Well, actually, none of the potting soils have any nutritional value because they are completely inert. They are made out of shredded, typically, peat moss or core. They'll have perlite and vermiculite, which are those little white or shiny particles Mm -hmm. in there. And they really just act as a substrate to, for the roots to grow in, like a media for the roots to find a hold. Oh, I see. They are very much designed to both drain well, but also retain water all at the same time, so that it's harder to kill plants by overwatering with a good quality, you know, well-designed potting soil. But all of our plants that are planted in potting soil do require consistent fertilizing when they are actively growing. Oh, so I just... Buy a regular fertilizer that I use for the other house plants? You could, yep. Yeah. Yucca's very amenable. It'll take a 10, 10, 10, a 20, 20, 20. Or if you have a 15, uh, 15 30, 15 hanging around, you could mm-hmm. use that as well. But the fiber, it seems to drain through the water very quickly. That's right. And that's why that saucer below, you know, the water will go into the saucer below. Yeah. Let the plant sit in that saucer for about 10 minutes. Okay, and then, then drain if, it. Yeah, then if there's still water in the saucer, then toss it down the sink. Oh, 
Okay. All right. Thanks very much, Charlie. Fa- I love your show. Thank you so much for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care now, Betty. Thanks so much for giving us a ring here on a Saturday morning, which is beautiful, by the way. We will return in just a couple of moments with more questions and more answers from Charlie here on The Garden Joe. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than we do realize. And should little creatures become a big problem? Well, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And a good morning from the sous chef of the garden, Frank Proctors. We welcome from Richmond Hill, Rita. Good morning, Rita. Good morning, Frank and Charlie. Good morning. It's a shame. We all love you so much that you can't be on for two hours. <laughs> oh. One hour is not enough. <laughs> all right. Your heart. Now, yeah. Send I need a letter. help with yes. my cedar trees. Mm-hmm. They're about 20, just over 20 years old, well looked after, beautiful trees. My lilac trees, all the other trees came back. I thought I lost everything with our ice storm we had. But I don't know what to do with some of these cedars on top. The ice is still thick, Mm. and there's snow, and now it's getting colder again. Am I allowed to go and give them a little tap and try and take some of that ice off, or do I have to leave them alone and let nature bring them back to health? How Roughly how tall are they? They're approximately seven feet. But they're round, like they're cut. They're very neat. I look after them. They're hmm. not like tall going up yeah. trees. They're cut round, like cut at the tops, all along the tops. Excellent. That's a very And 20 years old, that sounds like you've just done over, a... Just over 20, yes. Very good job maintaining them. So, so when you're looking at them in the center, you're seeing this ice buildup, and of course you're seeing those fronds or the branches are kind of sagging down. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was so mild yesterday. I'm surprised that you, it didn't. A lot of that ice didn't disappear yesterday. See, when it's cold, like even today, I think the high is still like zero. Mm-hmm. So when it's this chilly, I wouldn't go in and do a lot of, of banging around with the cedars. However, when we get those mild, rainy kind of days, like we had even yesterday, uh, with a broom handle, you could go in and just kind of move a broom handle around a bit. Mm. You don't want to break like the cedars when they're very cold are brittle. So that's the trick with too much uh, jiggling and, and fiddling. Um, now, they've been down now since December. Yeah. So, of course, the hope is that once that snow and ice does disappear, that they will stand up again. You will need to do some pruning, I'm quite convinced, uh, once we really do get into spring. Best time to prune cedars is June, when they're actively growing. And so I would just plan for that, if I were you. Or if we get a mild day in the next few days. I mean, we are looking, like you said, at some cool, below-zero weather for the next week or so. So as soon as we get into a bit of mild stuff, you might be able to do just a bit of gentle shaking with, like I say, a broom or a broom handle. And just another quick point, seeing the cardinals, the blue jays, mm. and the robins singing out there in the trees, <laughs> it just makes you smile and say spring's just around the corner, Frank. Oh, <laughs> Lord, thank you. <laughs> have, a, have a lovely day. Thank, thank you so, so much. much. I think we're all in the Thanks same boat. We're call. getting really sick of this weather. I know, and that's why Canada Blooms is going to be our savior. We're going to go get a taste of spring during Canada Blooms, March 14th to 23rd. There you go. More about that, certainly next week. But uh, we have uh, another first-time caller on the line and uh, hailing from Stouffville, Arthur. Welcome to the show, Arthur. Yes, good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. I love your show. Thank you. Welcome. It's wonderful to listen to you. I tell you, I have a problem. I'm growing two rosemary plants in the basement under growing lights. Mm -hmm. One of them is kind of like a tree. It must be about uh, close to five years old. I normally uh, take them out in the spring, plant them in the garden, and then bring them back in again in the fall. Mm-hmm. 
The only problem is, and I have that's the first time I've had this. I've got downy mildew mm-hmm. on the uh, on the rosemary plant. Now I pr- cut most of the stuff off, mm-hmm. but I'd like to know how to k- prevent it from reoccurring. It's starting up again on some yeah. of the um, uh, end branches. You know, what would be one of the best things you could do would be to get some air circulation going down there. Do you have a small fan of any kind, or is there any way you could um, get a little more air movement? Because so often with fungal diseases, they're taking advantage of dead air, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's when when the spores are really able to thrive. I do have a fan, but I haven't I haven't used it. I have a I have a fairly large fan actually. Yeah, I wonder if you could like sort of set it up far enough away mm-hmm. on the lowest possible setting, just so that you'd get a little bit of a breeze going through. I just I think you would find that that would lower the growth rate of the the mildew. Right. And of course, the sooner we get some real proper sun going and some you know mm-hmm. real weather, and we can get them outside again, they'll be perfectly happy. I see. In the meantime, be careful of watering the foliage, only water, preferably from below. Okay. Uh, try and keep moisture right away, even from the surface of the yeah. soil, just water into the, into the saucer below. And I mean, in a worse case, you could go and get um, a fungicide, like mm-hmm. liquid sulfur. There's, you'll find Home Depot, any of those kind of places will have garden sulfur, and it'll have very clear instructions on how to control uh, mm. I mildews. don't like using that because we're using it for our cooking. That's right. We cut off the, uh, the ends. And, uh, and sulfur know. doesn't taste very good. No, I, would, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that. I've mm. heard, and I don't know whether I've tried it, but it doesn't seem to work, using milk and water in a spray bottle. I wouldn't do it. It doesn't seem to do anything. No. And often what you do is you end up feeding the mildew. Oh, really? You'd be amazed, but they do love sugars and things that are, of course, in milk. And the other thing I heard, using neem oil, I don't know whether that does anything. Neem oil? It can be a very effective insecticide, but it will not control any kind of fungal diseases. Okay. All right. So the only thing, baking soda wouldn't do anything either in dish soap. Well, no, forget the dish soap. Uh, There are some people that would argue that, yes, baking soda is effective. I can't say that I've personally ever found it to be effective, but baking soda is kind of like Epsom salts. It's one of those magical things that cures a lot of things. So it's, you know, you could try it, uh, but get your recipe off the web. Okay, and have you heard of chamomile? Chamomile tea uh, and spraying it. Yeah, out. actually, I have. Yeah, there's sort of a whole bunch of different kind of recipes yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I'd be inclined almost to go with chamomile tea before I go with anything else. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks. I, I just don't want to lose these. Things no, exactly. One of them looks gorgeous. It's like a. It's like a bonsai. Nice. You know, and uh, so. Okay. Well, good for I'll, you. Well, thanks for your call and yeah, good luck with so that. Yeah, are you, are so you um, uh, Arthur, are you located right in Stouffville? Right in Stouffville, right in town, right at the east end of town. Well, you know, uh, Di and myself, well, more Di than I, uh, had a, a fabric shop on the main street there co- many years ago called the Weaver's Loom. Oh, is that correct? Some, yeah, right across from, basically uh, across from the IGA store, which used to be. Is oh. it still on the main street? No, no, no. no there's, uh, there's the only thing that's there is now is Anne's Frab Fabric. Oh, there you go. Anne's Fabric is Anne must have bought it from Dye when I you weren't looking. You, I guess so. <laughs> hey, pleasure IGA talking to you, gone. Arthur. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, thank you call, so much Arthur. for the call. All right. Frank, then. it's always about you. I, I know, but I really... I haven't been up to Stouffville for so long. I wanted to find out if my buddy Jack Chambers was still running the IGA store there. Uh, well, I guess you'll have to just take a drive up to Stouffville and find out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, speaking of driving, now tomorrow morning you're oh, not yes. going to be driving, are not you? Not at all. No? Not at all. My okay. uh, younger son came up to uh, our apartment yesterday mm-hmm. and uh, said, "Hey, pop, uh, what are you doing tomorrow morning about seven o'clock?" I said, <laughs> uh, "Well, I probably will be watching the game." He said, uh, "Well, I'm getting a group of guys together to go." Uh, Maybe to the Wheat Chief Tavern or, you know, close by, another little place there. There's a lot of good little pubs around the yeah, area yeah. and watch the game. So right. I'm going I'm going to be up and out of the door. You and the guys. And the guys yeah. and you're James. You're putting on you're, your, uh, you know, your red and white uh, clothing and, or maybe I'm not. Maybe you're wearing long red underwear. Long <laughs> red underwear. Okay. That's it. Nothing that's, else. That's, maybe that's bad Avoid luck. the Wheat Chief Tavern, everybody. <laughs> if, if seeing Frank in long red underwear at 7 in the morning is not something you want well, to experience. Well, that little trap door. Is, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> Handy right. when you don't want to miss anything. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Oh, my God. What a visual thing that is. Uh, well, enough about me. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to yeah. say. Uh, okay. So it's been really swell, as usual, Frank. Thank you for all your wonderful support. Oh, I know, and help. And yes, help, yes. And, and enjoy the game. I think I'll be sleeping tomorrow morning, but maybe, maybe oh, not. Well. we'll see. I'll give you a call after yeah, yeah, every do period, that. okay? Do and that. let yeah. you know the Or every scores. goal, yeah. Let me <laughs> fill me in. Just remember, you can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Dobbin. And I just want to thank James Patrick Dooley. He's the best. He's been the gentleman that answers the phone, of course, but has also sorted out technical glitches throughout the show, and you wouldn't even know. He's that good. Thanks to all our great callers. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.